You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hey there, guys. This is part two of a story told to us by a beautiful, brave mom named Katie and her sweet baby boy, Cooper. Um, I encourage you to go back to episode 44, part one, and listen to the beginning of this story before you go um, to this episode and finish out the rest of the story. Thank you so much for supporting us and listening to this story. It is one of the most heartfelt stories we've ever heard. And I hope that you are able to find some healing and peace as you listen to this as well. Thank you so much. Um, that September, we met with a high-risk doctor because we, we just felt like our arms were empty, but like we wanted to know what our future was going to look like. And, and I remember the high-risk doctor, the very first thing that she had stated to me, she said, if you can't imagine having another NICU baby or losing another baby, I honestly would not advise you or your husband to try for another baby again. Ever? Ooh. Ever. And, like, I wasn't expecting that, like, at all. And so I remember, like, I went, like, I kind of, like, gasped a little bit. Like we just did? Yeah. Yeah, like it, like it hurt, but I, but I know that was the reality she needed to give yeah. me to understand that, like, this is very real, what you're, what may be going again. So, like, my story of, they, they never really figured out why I went into preterm labor. Um, they, they said it was preterm labor, but they did culture my placenta and they said it came back with the acute chorioamniotitis, if I'm saying that right. Basically an infection starts at the vagina, a bacteria is present and it ascends into the uterus. So they kind of think it, it could have, they think that, hey, was your uterus starting? Because I was fully dilated to a 10 that day. Like when I went to the yeah. hospital, they're like, you're a 10 and he's protruding. So they're like incompetent cervix, which incompetent cervix is, is the cervix. It's it's not able to stay closed a full pregnancy. Right. So it's, it's kind of like this silent dilation that comes on. That's what makes it so traumatic because women really don't see it coming. Like it just happens one day. So and, and, and it's called silent dilation. So they think I may be dilated over time and I just didn't know it. I wasn't showing signs. And so they think that infection, though, came from just having... An open cervix, you know, because anything, it can pick up a lot of things and it can right. say that's infection. So she tells me, we think you have incompetent cervix or preterm labor. Here are the things that we would do next pregnancy. Um, what we would advise is, okay, so you had them in February. Let's wait a full year from that surgery and you guys can start trying again. So that was a rough appointment, but luckily, you know, we went through the few couple months of really Grief, but not so much because I got so busy with this Christmas with Cooper. I wanted to run away from it, in a sense. And I was doing really good. I mean, I was doing good for the community in the world, but probably not so much good for me. So, and I know that now, like, seeing it. So, next February comes along, and as soon as we get the go-ahead from our MFM, she's like, okay, you guys can try. And so, my husband and I were like, sweet, like, let's do this. I was terrified at the same time. 
Um, hadn't gotten any counseling or anything for what we'd just gone through in the NICU, like kind of just brush it all like, oh, I've got this. My ego kept telling me like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And so, and this idea of getting pregnant again and having another baby, of course it's like, oh, this is going to yeah. heal everything and make it better. Yeah. <laughs> so we got pregnant and we found out actually on St. Patrick's Day that we were expecting our second little baby, Brooklyn, our little girl. And my husband made a joke to me. He's like, do our kids just like to surprise us on holidays? Because I'm seeing a pattern here. And I'm like, oh, that's funny. That, that's really funny. So um, we found out St. Patrick's Day that we were going to have, we were pregnant again. Can I just interrupt this and tell you that you're on my schedule for this podcast to go live on St. Patrick's Day? Ooh, that would be so cool. Oh my god. I'm just saying it's so cool. weird. It's so crazy that yeah, we're recording cool. it close to Cooper's birth. That is so weird. That is so weird. No, I'm so glad you shared that with me. So we we found out we were pregnant with her. And from that moment on, I knew like our high-risk doctor and my OB at the time said, Well, you're gonna have double the appointments, we're gonna monitor you here. Here's the plan. At 16 weeks, you're gonna go on. You're gonna undergo a procedure to get a cerclage, which is a stitch that goes around the tip of the cervix. And so I underwent that at four, 14 or 16 weeks, and then a week later they started me on progesterone shots. And then um, towards the end, I started doing non-stress tests and. Um, just to monitor her and her movements and everything. Like, the pregnancy went great. I didn't have... I mean, I had a couple times where I had a scare, but I had ended up going to the hospital because any type of pain, I, I was freaked out. Like, oh, it must be something, you know? And so I'd go in, and they'd monitor, and they'd say, no, everything's fine, everything's okay. And they really did a great job of not shaming me in that sense of, or making me feel like you're nuts, you know? Mm-hmm. Everybody, I kind of had a reputation now at Intermountain Healthcare there in Utah Valley that they're like, it's okay. Like, yeah, let's monitor her. And even my MFM, she was great. She's like, if you need to come in, even if everything's okay, but you just need to come in and see that baby's okay, call us and we'll get you in. I'm like, okay, great. That's they awesome. were they were yeah. gracious about it. They were great. And pregnancy went okay, but my head, not so much. It was hard. Um I was very much still grieving Cooper at this point. Um, in a lot of ways, it's interesting because after a child loss, it, you know, you literally like, have, you feel this hole in your heart that's missing and you know it's not going to be there again until, until you see them again. So, you know, you're walking this earth with like a literal hole in your heart and I was trying to identify, like, who I was after I lost him. It was kind of like, you know, I was, like, trying to integrate, okay, I've got this really big hole, but life's going on. Uh, how do I live? And I remember the best advice I got was, like, be patient with yourself and offer yourself grace, but you are going to learn to live a new normal. It's just a new normal. Mm-hmm. So you're never going to go back to what you were before because it's not. Mm-hmm. You're now, and you're going to learn to live a new normal. And... You know, I just had to ride out the waves of grief. I can remember, like, being really heavy in it some some days. Other days were easier. Other days were harder. When I was, uh, when I did find out I was, I was pregnant with Brooklyn, um, 
I had a close friend who I'd met in the NICU. She had lost her first baby girl too. Well, she was pregnant again. So she was four or five months ahead of me at this time. But so I was so grateful for that support there. But we went through, my pregnancy was fine, but I would say like my brain was not. It was panic attacks all the time. It was like, Okay, you know, every milestone we got to, especially that 24 weeks. I kept telling myself leading up to that 24 weeks, like, okay, after 24 weeks, I'm not going to worry anymore. No, no, it didn't go away. Mm -hmm. I totally set myself up for that. I'm like, okay, Okay. here I am, 24 weeks, and here we are passing that. And, you know, the Braxton Hicks are getting stronger because the baby's getting bigger and stuff like that. And I was getting more uncomfortable. What I was not prepared for was, um, I thought I was, but... I was so not prepared for, like, the day of her birth. Um, I was excited, and we were a little, like, weirded out at the fact that we were just getting up one day and, like, everything was fine. Like, we weren't rushing to the hospital. I remember, like, we were excited, but it was kind of weird. Like, wait, are we just walking up and checking in? Like, this is weird, you know? We're about to have this baby girl. And we, 37 weeks is when I can't go into labor on my own. Because um, I have what's called, when they when they took Cooper out, I have a transverse cut. So basically what that is, it's a vertical cut on the uterus. They had to do that because of the position that he was in. But with future pregnancies, you are at higher risk for uterine rupture. Um, it scares a lot of women, but I'm here to live and tell it that, hey, no, I had to get that. And... I'm having babies after work. Like I'm, I'm, and I feel blessed that I'm able to live and tell that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they told me though that my following pregnancies would never be vaginal. That they would just they would be a vertical cut and always C-section. I never go into labor on my own, and that was that. So that's why we had our. So we planned 37 weeks. November 6, 2017 was the date, and so I can remember like us getting into the hospital. And I was like, thank goodness, like getting her out today she's gonna be like safe and healthy I don't have to like wonder day in and day out how many more days I'm gonna have her in me like I was like emotionally and mentally exhausted at this point well I didn't know that the journey was just about to like start new again so in a sense of like my journey with postpartum so the day of we we check in we're good and um we have her, and it was beautiful. The, the The spirit in that room was so strong as far as, like, going, oh, my goodness. I, I can remember, like, telling my OB throughout the whole journey, a whole pregnancy of Brooklyn, like, saying, the thing that I look forward to the most is hearing my baby cry. Because yeah. I didn't get to experience that with my, my son. And... Yeah. Bless my OB now because for those whole, the whole eight months, I think every day I was, I was, he allowed me to personally message him. I'm feeling this sensation. Is this normal? I'm doing this. Is this okay? And, And bless his heart because it was probably daily and I'm not even lying. The anxiety was so real at the time. And I am so grateful that he never gave up on me or never, I crossed so many boundaries that I'm like, you know, I probably should have done that today. My husband would get mad at me, like, leave him alone. I'm like, but it's real. He's like, I know it is, honey, but calm down. And, and I would have to breathe through it. High-risk pregnancy, especially after a loss, is just hard. I can't imagine. Like, I, so 
here I was like so relieved that this was going to happen. I feel like I'm skipping around here, but they get me into the, the operating room, set me up on the table. And the first thing my OB says, he's like, wow, you got some beautiful pink toes today. Cause I've gotten a pedicure oh. the day before. Like I'm going to have some cute toes before, <laughs> you know, they're just up there. In the, oh, yeah. So, um, we laugh about that. And then he tells my husband, okay, you ready? And my husband thinks, okay, the baby's out in here. So my husband gets up and he, he, he like look peeks over the curtain and the OB was saying, like, you ready to see, like, we're about to get her out of her tummy. But he just sees this big gaping hole and then all my organs Aww. laying out somewhere. So he goes, ho, he screams, ho. And then he sit, he, like, flops back down. And I said, are you okay? Are you okay? And he's like, I just saw a hole. And the OB said, sorry, I didn't know you didn't want to see that. Uh, we'll just let you know when she's here. And, and about five seconds later, you hear the most beautiful cry in the world. And I'm talking cry she delivered you could hear her my mom said five rooms down where they were waiting she's like when that cry came I knew that was my granddaughter and she's like she was just and he said to the the OB said to me that's a pair of lungs you got there and I said it's all I want and I remember crying and I remember like saying thank you thank you I feel you with me here and it was beautiful oh I, this is a part where I really want to get into because I'm like, I'm, this has been the hardest. So following surgery that day with her, I remember like, I was just really tired. I just had a C-section, you know, they, we did our cares. We gave her her little bath. I was kind of in and out of it, just, um, in pain and on medication for everything and just tired like any mom is after giving birth, whether it be vaginally or via C-section, but, um, that night, she had gone to the nursery for a couple of hours, and my husband and my mom were by my bedside, and I remember telling him, like, I was in a lot of pain because, you know, my uterus was contracting, going back down, doing everything normally that it should have been, but I told him how much pain I was in and that I was feeling it. So they decided to give me, I want to say, was it phenylalanine, but it was like a suppository, and so they gave it to me, and within, I guess, like, 30 minutes to, to like 45 minutes. Um, I can remember I was just kind of like in and out of it. I had oxygen on, I can't even remember, but I was in and out of sleep. And finally one of the nurses comes in after one of the hours and she says, okay, we're going to do your vitals. And I said, okay. And so she does my vitals. She puts the pulse thing on and it shoots up to, <laughs> to like 120 and it keeps going off. Beep, beep, beep. And here's my husband, my mom going, why is there a heart rate that high? Something's going on. And I'm just laying back and I kept telling them, guys, I'm fine. I'm fine. But I'm so heavily medicated and I'm just, I'm great. I'm good, you know. So then finally I'm like, and the baby's good. Like, we're fine. And my husband's like, sweetheart, you're not fine. Your, your heart rate's 120. Like, something's wrong. Like, you're, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't feel it. He's like, probably not. But stop telling us that something's not wrong. Something's wrong. So my OB and his team all of a sudden come rushing in. And that point I'm like thinking, dang it, I prayed for just normalcy with this one. Just normalcy. I don't want any last minute. Now me, you know, I'm thinking, oh, great. If it's not the baby, it's going to be me now. So he comes in, they like hook up this EKG monitor. I'm like, oh, great. An EKG monitor. They're going to run a test. What is going on? Well, it turns out it was a reaction from the phenylalanine. So he just said it's going to have to take its course. We're not going to oh. give her that ever again. We'll put that <laughs> in your charts, but it's going to just have to die down. First night was fine. The following day was okay. 
Um, by the third day that we were going to get discharged, um, I was nervous to go home um, just because I already started to notice that my PTSD was kicking in in a sense that I was looking at her and any like movement or reaction. I was looking for like a reason we are going to have to go up to the NICU just to floor. Like I was just waiting like, hey, any minute now we're going to have to go. I remember starting to have that. And I told Tyler, I was like, I kind of don't want to go home. He was wanting to go home. He's like, no, let's bust out of here. We have the healthy baby. We're good. And I was like, oh, no, I'm not feeling so confident. And I know, like, that's normal for every first time. Like, mom, it's, it's nerve-wracking to bring the, the baby home. But I knew it was more than that. So we're getting ready uh, to be discharged. We were discharged. I was changing her diaper. And she did what's called a Harlequin. Extremely rare. But what happens is the body under a stress response or due to an immature circulatory uh, system, half of the body goes completely red and the other half goes completely white. Cooper did this. And I knew like it was a stress response then and that it was okay. But then I, now I'm seeing my daughter do this. And all of a sudden I went, oh no, this isn't good. This isn't good. And I called the nurse in and I said, oh my gosh, what's going on? And my husband went, wait a second, wait a second. Remember, didn't Cooper do this? And we're all of a sudden we're trying to like figure it out. And they say, uh, we don't know what that is, but we need to take your baby right away. And I start freaking out because I'm like, oh my gosh, we're discharged. What do you mean? You know, and I, and my husband said, just sit down, sit down for a second and let's figure this out. He said, I may go up to run up to the NICU and tell them she's doing it and see what they say. And so then the doctor comes in, you know, we're a little concerned. So we're going to hook her up to an oxygen or yeah, an oxygen monitor. And of course you put the oxygen monitor on her. And even if she's fine, but she makes a little movement, her heart rate may go up a little bit. So then things start beeping, beep, 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 beep. And I'm going, Tyler, this isn't good for me. And he's getting upset because Mother Baby Floor didn't know at all what Harlequin was. Even if we, even though we try to explain a little bit, hey, we heard it's like genetic. It's not a cause for concern. They're like, no, we need to monitor her. We're, she's not going to go home right now. Nobody had heard what it was. So these beeps are going off. I start panicking and I tell Tyler, I was like, I can't do this, Tyler. I can't do it. And I remember sitting on the hospital bed and I was rocking back and forth and she was sitting right there. And I started rocking back and forth. I said, this is setting me off and I don't know how to control it. This is just setting me off, Tyler. I can't do it. And he, at this point, my husband was like upset. So he says, come with me. And we're headed up to the NICU. And I said, okay. So we like go up the floor to the NICU and we head up to the NICU and they say, one of our neonates we knew, she said, we don't treat him with that. Go home. Remember that's genetic and it's rare and she, it's going to fade over time. She's going to grow out of it. Go home. She's 37 weeks. She's healthy. Go home. So we go back down. We try to tell them like we want to go home. And it was a fight. They weren't willing to let us go until they had a meeting with the neonate. So it was like an extra maybe six or seven hours. But yeah. So and at that point, you know, I was a mess. They actually called a social worker in. They were worried about me. And they said, you know, can we put you on medication now? Um and we want to get you started on it as soon as possible. And I had known because I was on sertraline like the first six months after my son's death. I was on an antidepressant. Not, not a high dosage, but I was for a while and weaned myself off of it once I felt like I was doing better. But 
you know, they weren't willing to like, let me go without suggesting that and putting me on something. And I told them, no, go for it. Like I was open to it. And so the MP wrote me a prescription. I had to fill out this survey for postpartum. And I remember going home that night and I was okay for the first night. Um, and even through that first week, but it was probably like five days into bringing her home. I remember like going over to my in-laws that night and I felt just like nothing. And I remember like looking at her and I was like, what did you do? You made a mistake. And I like look at her. And then something else tells me, why would you risk bringing another one into this world to lose it too? And I just am like, voice coming from and I just was like oh my gosh I started to believe like this was a mistake I'm not even enjoying this but I'm playing it off really well right through Instagram I can fake a smile I've got my rainbow baby this is wonderful and I think like that was good and I'm sharing my story but like I was trying to convince myself out of those emotions that I was feeling in the postpartum that I was actually feeling and so after that first week, it probably followed for the next two months. My husband would go to work. He went, I wasn't as nervous to be alone with her. Um, but looking back, my mom said I called her probably for the first two months, almost every day. And I was trying to diagnose her with something and a reason as to why we were going back to the hospital. I was like, I don't know, mom, she has this red thumb. Maybe I'll take her back into the hospital. Every day, it was just like, Something new. I would just try to find something. And so after those two months, um, I could remember my husband like saying, hey, like, do you need to like up your medication maybe? Like what's going on? And I was like, uh, I don't really know because I was very much in a sense, again, my ego was like, I can get through it. It's because I've had a history, so mm -hmm. it's time. fine. This is normal. Like I'm going to get through it. And so kind of to backtrack, actually, the first uh, week that she was home, I'm losing my train of thought here, but the first week she was home, after we had visited my in-laws that night, the following day, my mother had come over and she was changing her diaper and she allowed me to go upstairs and take a shower. And as when I came downstairs, she's changing her diaper and I screamed, she's going black and blue. And I said, stop it. And I pushed away. I was like, she's going black and blue. She's not breathing. Look at her, mom. Look at her. And my mom, like, looks at me and she goes, Katie, something's wrong. She's like, she's not black and blue. And I actually, like, had, what would you call it? Like, an hallucination or something? A delusion? Yeah. Uh, that she was going black and blue and that she wasn't breathing. In fact, she was actually totally fine. And at that point, my mom sat me down. She actually called my husband right away and said, hey, can you come home? We need to talk. And so I was just sobbing on the couch. And I just said, I can't do this. I feel like every day she's going to have something. And so my husband got home, and that's when he said, let's get you on a higher dosage. So I did get on a higher dosage after that week. But again, here I am with this newborn trying to – no sleep as it is because no. you're feeding, you're changing, you're doing all that stuff. And I just remember I was like – I knew like something was wrong with me, but I don't know why I felt like I could do it on my own. And I remember so two months into her life, it was like daily. My husband would go to work and he'd come home and 
I'd just be crying. And then all I wanted to do was get out of the house. That's all I wanted to do. I'm like, well, I'm going to get out. And, and I couldn't go anywhere, really. Like, I was still healing from, you know, the surgery and everything for those six weeks. But I just wanted to get out and leave. And one day, I went and walked my dog. And I looked up at the sky. And I, I don't want to be here anymore. I was like, here I am. Thought that, like, I went through something really hard. I have this beautiful baby girl, and I don't want to be here anymore. I, like, couldn't even see my purpose. I was like, what's it really going to matter if I'm not here anymore? I remember, like, when I looked up at the sky, I remember, like, mm, no big deal. Like, people will move on. It's going to be great. Like, it's going to be fine. That's when I went back into my husband, and I was like, Tyler, I'm having these thoughts, and he, and, and I... And he looked at me and he's like, well, why don't you get help? Why don't you get help? I, here's what blows my mind. I never got the help. I cannot believe that I'm in here right now talking and sharing my story. I feel like I'm lucky. I feel like I'm lucky to be sitting here. How the heck did I make it here? So fast forward to now. I think it's it's been a journey since Brooklyn came into this world because the first six months of her life were awful for me. But that whole first year, I missed out on everything with her because every day it was, don't cough on her, don't do this, don't do that. And I just, I didn't enjoy it because I was waiting to go to the hospital. Um, gosh, they were dark days. I remember the first few months following her. They just were so dark. And I... So I, I see a therapist now, and I'm having to kind of relive through everything because essentially what got me into a therapist was just three months ago when my husband and I talked about having a third baby. I went into this panic again, and my PTSD started triggering. I'm like, I know that I have PTSD. Nobody needs to diagnose me. I know I've got it. And things started triggering me. So finally, my husband one night said to me a few months ago, he's like, Katie, I want to have a baby with you, but I, I can't until you get your mind healthy. I have to know that you're mentally in an okay place before we do this. I lost you for a long time after Brooklyn, and you were not the same. And then he broke down, and he said every day, like, I feared that I'd come home and you'd be dead. interesting is like even during those times of like those dark hours like I was reaching out to other mothers who couldn't even relate though so it almost made it worse because I'd be like did you feel this way or you know oh no I didn't and then I felt more alienated like just isolated and alone like oh my gosh something's wrong with me and I just remember I... so talking about having another baby triggered already so many different things I met with the MFM three months ago a week into talking about it wasn't even pregnant and she thought that I was she's like oh I thought you were pregnant that's why you're in here I'm like no I just want to talk about my plan and she's like Katie have you checked in with yourself here in your brain lately I said no and I have to be honest with you remember when I told you I got a therapist when I was pregnant with Brooklyn she's like yeah I said I never got one because I just wanted you to shut up about it 
And she said, you did not. And I said, I did. I said, Dr. Feldovich. Oops. Uh, anyways. The name. I try not to say it. But I, I had told her, I said, I can't. I don't think I'm willing to have another baby unless I do have somebody to help me this time around. I said, I don't even worry about the pregnancy high-risk part. We've got stuff to worry about again, having a third baby talking about it. I was like, but this part of it, like, I fear the postpartum. I said, I had no plan in place. Mm-hmm. I, I'm afraid if I don't do something now and have a plan in place, who's to say that I will be here for this third one? Who's to say, like, I, maybe I won't have it, but maybe I will. Maybe it'll be worse. I just don't even want to take those chances. So here I am today sitting down with you guys and finally saying that just two months ago, I got a therapist. And when I went to my first initial, I'm like, why didn't I start this forever ago? I almost, it cost me almost my life. I mean, it got to the point where I was thinking about certain ways of taking it and, taking my own life, and I'm just so, that's why I'm like, how am I here with no help? How am I here? Like, I still am like, just in awe about it, and so I really like, what's important for me to like share kind of in this journey is that, there is no shame in getting the help. There's no, there's no, reason to not get it and and from my experience now I can say I missed out on a whole year almost year and a half of my daughter's life through what I was suffering with and and she's two now she's beautiful she's healthy but I have been robbed almost her whole life because of these things and I'll never get that time back with her and that's what I mourn because I'm like dang it I'll never get to like see you be a newborn and like actually enjoy you and I try not to think about that but it's hard given my history um so here I am with this counselor today and I'm and I'm feeling she validates so much of the things, personal things that I share with her. And she's like, oh, this is, this is normal. This is, no, this is okay. And, and so I'm hopeful for the future. And like my biggest, I guess, the advice that I can give other moms out there that are either going through a, a pregnancy after loss or a high risk that have a postpartum in place clear before, um, these people, there's resources out there to be your best advocate for you. And the beautiful thing is that you don't have to do it alone. And, um, yeah, it just, it's been a journey between the grief and a high-risk pregnancy and following now up to this day. I, the grief is always there. Um, I can remember even after having Brooklyn, I, I can remember like holding her and, and just thinking, I mean, really, I was upset. I'm like, damn it, this still hurts. I still miss him. Yeah. So then I learned, oh, it doesn't go away. And I'm just sitting there holding her in the hospital bed. But it's just been, it's been 
a journey to say the least to experience what I've been experience, experiencing thus far in motherhood. But I'm so passionate about what you guys do because I'm like, no, this is, yeah, we need to talk about this stuff. We need to end the stigma with it because I didn't and it almost cost me my life. And like sharing this story, there's going to be even my closest friends out there that aren't going to hear it till they probably hear this podcast and go, Oh my gosh, I had no idea like this is what she was experiencing even after she had Brooklyn. Because I think a lot of it was like, oh, well, she had a rainbow baby, happy, yep. happy joy joy, you know, and it just, that's not the case. Well, that's kind of, kind of how we like, so what we close all of our podcasts on is a question that we say, like, if you could go back on your worst day and tell yourself something, knowing what you know now, and you, and you kind of went to that, but. On your very worst day, whatever day that was, or time period, like what would you get on your hands and knees like that nurse and look in your eyes? What would you say? I mean, if we talk, honestly, my darkest day was probably the day that I decided I didn't want to be here anymore. I would totally say that you matter. And believe it. I'm so grateful that you stayed. Because this is one of the most beautiful stories we've heard. And I know you've already saved lives just by sharing it tonight. So, thank you so much. Absolutely. You are thank you for letting incredible. me share it. And just the way that you shared and the, the truth of your emotions and the feelings and the thoughts. You know, we get a lot of, a lot of beautiful stories, but the way that you went into detail about your thoughts and what happened um, was just so raw and real. And... Um, you're an incredible mom and person, and I'm just absolutely honored that you shared your story with us. Thank you for listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. If you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.